All right. So I have an idea for our cold opening. Ready for this? Let's hear it. So we're back here for our second episode, and I thought of this joke after we recorded the last one, so I just we're going to use it. So as anyone who's listened previously knows, last episode was about hospital eggs, and I think you know, uh, Dr. Peck, about my passion for a little TV show that aired from uh, in the early 2000s uh, called House, starring uh, Hugh Laurie of uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie fame and Black Adder fame. Um, and so I thought, what would happen if Dr. House dealt with these eggs? So allow me to paint a picture for you, okay? Okay. We're at the end of an episode, right? So it's always, all right, the cold open is a guy starts, a guy's like in the hospital already and he like closes his meal train. He's like getting in a fight with someone and they do the fake out where like, you know, you think he's going to hit someone and that person's going to be like the patient, but then he suddenly starts like vomiting blood. All right. So that's the first part. Then they do the part where everyone gets like sicker and sicker. So he, you know, he gets sicker. He, he keeps vomiting blood. And then the last thing he has is carpopedal spasm. So like his, you know, his wrist spasms and his foot spasms and Chase is like, oh, he's having a seizure. We're going to do a brain biopsy because of course, like that's how you do, that's what you do for a first seizure of life in the house universe is you do a brain biopsy. So Chase wheels him away and house was wrong about his theory and he's like in his office right and dr wilson played by robert sean leonard of uh dead poet society fame is talking to him and and he's like you know he's throwing the ball against the wall and 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 wilson's berate not really berating him but saying like you know how's your you know your the vikings getting out of control you're you're not as sharp as you used to be you're missing obvious things you need to stop counting your chickens before they hatch and you know how stops he catches the ball and he stops he says Say that again. And and Wilson says, you got to stop putting the cart before the horse. And House is like, no, no, no. Say it again. And he says, stop counting your chickens before they hatch. And House says, well, I can't, you know, in his, like, gravelly voice, the chicken or the egg came first. And then he immediately gets up and he starts hobbling to the OR, okay? You know, like, with his cane on the wrong side. And, of course, he's wearing, like, let's say a blazer, jeans, and a T-shirt with flames on it i feel like that's like a good house outfit and so he hobbles you are and he breaks in of course he's like breaking sterile field right he's not scrubbed he's not wearing a gown everyone's mad at him cuddy's there and chase is like about to cut open the patient's head with a knife or as chase would call it a north <laughs> and uh and house says stop you know it's it's he had the hospital eggs it's sodium fluoride poisoning and and uh, and Cardi's like, you can't prove it, and this patient needs a biopsy. House, you're getting in the way. Get him out of here. And they start dragging him out. He's like, you're gonna you're gonna do an unnecessary biopsy. You're gonna kill this patient. And and Cardi says, if you can't prove it, uh, you know you, you have to get out. And then he says, okay, look at his teeth. And the guy's teeth are flawless. And that's evidence that it was sodium fluoride. And welcome back to Caduceus Wild. I'm Screaming Pectoriloquy, and I'm joined here today by my guest host, Roswell O. Johnson. That's right. I'm Roswell O. Johnson. My uh, handle is at Pathologi2. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Really uh, excited to record another episode. I've been looking forward to this for a little bit. All right. We've got a great case for you today. This one uh, is a 
almost 30 years old uh, at this point, uh, but it's a, it's a fascinating uh, story just in terms of what they were looking for and what they ultimately found. It kind of solved two mysteries in, in one. Uh, so I want to take us back now to February 12th, 1993. Wow, ancient, 1993. An Associated Press article reports 35 Belgian women who rapidly developed kidney failure after taking herbal diet pills from a Belgian weight loss clinic. The treatments that the clinic provided consisted of a mixture of herbal preparations, injections of artichoke extract, amphetamines, and a diuretic mixed with animal or vegetable extracts. For 15 years, the clinic said they've never had a customer who developed kidney problems after taking their treatments, but that changed in May of 1990 when a new herbal preparation was mixed into their proprietary weight loss remedy. What they thought were pills made from two Chinese herbs, Stephania tetrandra and Magnolia officinalis, turned out to contain neither. Medical researchers immediately sought an explanation for what could have destroyed these patients' kidneys so quickly, but in solving this riddle, they also uncovered a mystery which had baffled doctors in the Balkans for decades. Over there, a higher-than-average prevalence of unusual urothelial cancers that formed predominantly in the upper urinary tract instead of the more common location in the bladder, and a type of chronic kidney disease which mainly affected the tubules in the kidneys, ultimately leading to end-stage renal disease. Two mystery conditions, one acute, one chronic, tied together by the same toxic agent. And the major clue to this discovery was the realization that two very different plants had two very similar names. Wow. So this is a case of herbal supplements gone wrong, perhaps. Herbal supplements gone wrong. Okay. And to set the stage for everyone, it's important to remember that in 1993, Aladdin won two Academy Awards. <laughs> um, Bram Stoker's Dracula also won several awards. So, you know, uh, that's sort of setting the stage. This is the world we live in. People are taking herbal supplements. Gary Oldman is wearing a funny wig. The first case report I want to talk about is from volume 341 of The Lancet, published February 13th, 1993. It's called Rapidly Progressive Interstitial Renal Fibrosis in Young Women, Association with Slimming Regimen, Including Chinese Herbs. Can I, can I pause you there for a second? Yeah. Interesting that the most problematic thing in this uh, regimen was not the amphetamines. <laughs> not yeah. causing the problems. Amphetamines, doing okay here. Yeah, well, well, we'll get to what all was in there. There's some questionable stuff because the 90s were a wild time. Uh, so we have nine women that were investigated in this article. Uh, but shortly after the publication, an additional 26 were discovered. They all had what the authors uh, called an attended Clinic X. Uh, this is a weight loss clinic in Brussels, Belgium. Sounds like a, sounds like a disco. Clinic X? They all it, it, went to it, Clinic X. No, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a I don't know like a CIA op site. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, they were all started on this clinic's newly revamped herbal diet preparation. So we start in January 1992 with one woman, aged 42, who sought medical care for fatigue—a pretty non-specific complaint, pretty common to uh, to anybody who's ever uh, been alive, um, but. What they found was her creatinine level was 440 millimoles per liter. I'm going to stop you right there. This is America. (laughs) This is not Canada. 
No one knows what Avogadro's number is. No one knows what that is. Can you please convert that to normal units? Five. It, it, it's five. Five milligrams per deciliters. Okay, still metric, but less weird. Yes. <laughs> this is a stark, unambiguous sign of renal failure. Two years earlier, her creatinine was one. She had taken the diet pills from May of 1990 to March of 1991. Initial workup was negative for other causes of renal failure. Um, she wasn't taking any other medications, no NSAIDs, no autoimmune process. They got a biopsy, which showed tubular atrophy with extensive interstitial fibrosis, but her glomeruli, the filters of the kidney, were all normal. So two months later, after this initial vis visit, her kidney function declined so rapidly she was started on dialysis. Another patient in April 1992, a 46-year-old woman, was also found to have incidental renal failure. She again came in for nonspecific complaints, fatigue, confusion. Her creatinine at that time was 3.8 milligrams per deciliters. Her workup was similar. All other blood tests, aside from an anemia associated with renal failure, were normal. Biopsy again showed tubular atrophy with interstitial fibrosis and glomerular sparing. Four months later, her creatinine rose again, this time to almost seven. She had no previous medical history except for allergic asthma, for which she used a beta-2 agonist inhaler, and two previous normal pregnancies. The only other therapy she had was an 18-month slimming regimen under the supervision of the same weight loss clinic in Brussels from May of 1990 to November of 1991. Were the 90s, the early 90s, like the heyday of the shady like weight loss clinic? I'm getting oh, that vibe. Oh, we're we're gonna get uh, some some familiar names in the oh in the, the history of weight loss pretty soon. With two otherwise healthy patients developing rapid decline in renal function after participating in the same weight loss regimen of the same weight loss clinic, the researchers decided to screen local dialysis centers in the area for other patients with similar presentations of tubular interstitial disease. Seven more were discovered. All of them were prescribed the same slimming regimen from Clinic X. For most of these women, after their initial presentation to their doctors for vague complaints, fatigue, weakness, and confusion, it only took another three months on average for their kidney disease to reach end stage and for them to require dialysis. So now the researchers turned their attention to this clinic, Clinic X. What they were giving their patients, and more importantly, why were these problems only showing up now after 15 years of otherwise uneventful operations? And the big change they, they, they focused on was that the formula for their weight loss regimen had changed. From 1975 to May of 1990, the regimen consisted of two capsules and a subdermal injection. The injection contained artichoke extract and euphylin. Capsule A contained meprobamate diethylpropion, uh, which is a drug in the amphetamine and cathinone class, similar to bupropion and the uh, more illicit bath salts, and finfluramine, which you may recognize as the troublemaking half of finfin, a combination of finfluramine and fentramine, uh, which was shown to cause fatal pulmonary hypertension and heart valve problems. 
When um, when was that figured out relative to this? I think that was later in the nineties. Okay. I think that was more ninety six or so. I but I I remember growing up watching you know daytime commercials and so many lawyer ads for Fin Fin. Were you taking Fin Fin? It, it was inescapable. Uh, Salino and Barnes will get you your. Uh, <laughs> Your dupay if you were taking fen-fen. So I assume all of these um, all these substances, artichoke extract, euphilin, metprolamate, uh, the fenfluramine, all these underwent extensive randomized controlled clinical trials for weight loss. Phase one, two, and three to determine safety and efficacy, I assume. And, and while you answer that question, I'm going to take a big sip of water. <laughs> uh, of course not. <laughs> Capsule B, however, showed the most changes uh, from the before and after of the the clinic's regimen. Prior to May 1990, it contained pancreas powder, uh, lamina powder, fucus extract, cascara powder, and acetosolamine, a weak diuretic. Okay, only one of those is something I know. What is pancreas powder? (laughs) Like, ground up, like, I'm I'm guessing. I'm I'm guessing. It it doesn't really uh, 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 explain in the article, uh, but, you know... A little bit of sweet bread dust uh, to you know clear the clear the weight off. But anyway, uh, acetosolamine, of course, that's a that's a weak diuretic. It works in the proximal tubules. Um, it uh, affects your your bicarb excretion. Uh, it's uh, uh, what they. It's not a very strong diuretic, um, but it's also uh, one of the medications they use. I think we actually talked about this last time on episode one uh, for altitude sickness. It makes you breathe uh, breathe faster because um, you you've changed your metabolic. Uh, uh, profiles and I need to blow off some acid. Anyway, um, after May of 1990, Capsule B uh, changed its formulations. It retained the cascara powder and the acetosolamide, but now it included belladonna extract from where we source atropine and two new herbs, Stephania tetranda and Magnolia officinalis. The latter two drugs, the Stefania and uh, Magnolia, these were Chinese drugs of plant origins. And what that means uh, is they are imported from China, not as a full plant, but as a powder, where they are received by the Belgian import agencies and then further processed into small batches, about 6 to 12 grams uh, each, and used by pharmacists afterwards. Um, the reason they were included was they're said to help decrease abdominal distension and eliminate edema. Um, but unlike pharmaceutical imports, these plant extracts were not regulated with the usual controls. While the import agency checks for heavy metal contamination, they don't check for purity or conformity or toxicity of the substances as is routine for pharmaceuticals. So now we got to look under the microscope. And I love I- looking under the microscope. There is a book that the authors used, and this is such a such a 1993 thing to do, where you had to go look up a book to find this information. But this book from 1968 called Powdered Vegetable Drugs uh, is exactly what it sounds like. It's a monograph of what different plant species look like when rendered into a powder and observed through a microscope. Each plant will have a different characteristic profile oh yeah no i have that on my coffee table it's a great coffee table book people come by they're sitting there you're making small talk they're flipping through do you own any coffee table books i don't own a coffee table so they looked under the microscope 
and they they were looking for what they were uh, they found something they weren't supposed to find which was an abundance of calcium oxalate crystals which according to this uh, plant powder monograph should not be present in Stefania tetranda I do recall uh, if you find those in a joint that's in pseudo gout they have a coffin lid appearance yeah. Uh, next, the powders were processed and prepared for thin layer chromatography analysis. Uh, and if you remember your high school science class, uh, TLC involves dissolving a solution in a special solvent and dipping it on a special thin media and watching the constituent components spread across at different rates, uh, forming characteristic patterns. Uh, none of the patterns showed any evidence of tetrandin or other molecules expected to be found in Stefania Terchanda. So that's another clue that this powder is, is this plant is, is it's not what we think it is. I want to point out that so far we're doing this all with like high school class chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, I think the calcium oxalate thing was wrong. So you're going to have to insert a connection, a correction there. I am a great co-host right now. I believe I think that was calcium pyrophosphate is pseudo gout, pseudo gout, right? Oh yeah, no calcium oxalate is like kidney stones. So yes. you're a urine guy. What does a calcium oxalate stone look like? That's the envelopes. Envelopes. There we yeah. go. Don't you like how yeah. we just describe things with like various everyday objects? <laughs> it's like Kaiser Soze was a pathologist <laughs> looking around the room, being like, "Oh yeah, that looks like a envelope." This is a coffee mug disease. This <laughs> is uh, uh, this is the cell phone sign. Uh, this, this is a uh, uh, hanging towel rack condition. Well, now you've just revealed that you're weirdly recording from inside of like a linen closet. It's the quietest place in my home. Fair enough. So all the while, the researchers were noticing the similarity between these acute presentations of kidney disease in these clinic patients, uh, comparing it to a more chronic condition uh, endemic to the Balkans, appropriately named Balkan endemic nephropathy, uh, which also shows this pattern of tubular interstitial disease with glomerular sparing. Um, but more, more devastating, perhaps, is the presence of these urothelial cancers. And uh, like mentioned earlier in the show, these cancers kind of show up in funny places. They, they're more proximal in the urinary tract uh, as opposed to uh, the bladder cancers you get from you know, chronic smoking or, or, or things like that. And I think um, there's, there's a few giveaways here that it's, you know, that this is not, these are not natural. So, right, they're, they're appearing in the upper urinary tract, you know, above the bladder. Yeah. Um, they're happening in these young women where you wouldn't expect it. Um, I think uh, at some point we'll maybe talk about actually the the uh, molecular evidence for for these cancers. Yeah. So um, real quick, where are the Balkans? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to admit my public school education failed me here, and I have failed to be interested enough in, in the things I should. Where are the Balkans? So you know where Europe is? Yeah, it's there. Cool. Yeah. That's uh, terrible. <laughs> Hang on, we got to look this up because now we're going to look like jerks. This is it's, bad. Maybe it, we should cut this. It's Bosnia and Herzegovina oh. and Croatia. Okay. So the 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 research aims for Balkan endemic nephropathy, they still hadn't figured out what had caused it, 
but there were two kind of suspect uh, toxic agents that uh, they were were investigating. One was ochratoxin A, which is a, a toxin formed by a fungus, and the other is aristolochic acid, which is a, a toxin found in uh, plants typically of the genus um, uh, aristolochia, uh, but also found, I think, in like wild ginger uh, as well. Um, but there's no definitive proof that either of these uh, were, the, were the cause of agents. And disappointingly, when they ran their thin layer chromatography, on these plant compounds, uh, they found neither. They found no ochratoxin A. They found no aristolochic acid. Hmm. And so they they thought, you know, maybe this is it, but uh, we we didn't find any evidence. Uh, but it's still a um, still a still a good hypothesis at this point. So they they mention it. So then what happens? Well, there's understandably some pushback uh, from practitioners of uh, uh, Chinese herbs uh, using traditional Chinese herbs and in the Associated Press article um, uh, referenced at the beginning of this uh, they did reach out to a uh, herbal medicine researcher, Dr. Kai Ya, at the time of the University of London School of Pharmacology, who was quoted as saying, the chemical process of making herbs into pills can produce toxic byproducts. Which, fair, sure, there, there's a, a number of uh, different uh, incidents in... in um, Humanity's experimentations with chemical uh, manufacturing, where unwanted byproducts cause problems. There was a there was a, a response letter uh, written uh, in in the la- that was published in the Lancet. Let me try to pull this up, sir, Professor Van Hervigen. Oh my God, I never even tried saying that name out loud. I'm Pro- so glad you're taking the lead on this episode. Oh my. Van Hervigen, Van Hervigen, good God, sir, Professor V and colleagues report raises concern about European registered medical practitioners administering a slimming so-called treatment consisting of a cocktail of drugs that include acetylcholine and various herbal elements from both Chinese and European plants. Fenfluramine and diethylpropion hydrochloride were present in the cocktail and are known anorectics, but it is difficult to discern any logical rationale for any of the other components. The Chinese herbs Stephania tetranda and Magnolia officinalis are not used in China for slimming, nor is slimming regarded as a valid indication for herbal treatment in otherwise healthy women in China. These two herbs are believed very safe in normal use. It is stated that both were given as powdered extracts. These would be likely to have originated in Taiwan. The Chinese themselves very rarely use herbs in this form because of great difficulties with verification. It is noteworthy that renal tubular necrosis has been reported after intravenous administration of aristolochic acid, an important constituent of aristolochia species, including aristolochia fangqi. 
Nephrotoxicity is a property of Aristolochia species, which is well recognized in China. Any herbal products can be contaminated during production and processing, especially by insecticides, fungicides, or heavy metals. Inappropriate storage or shipping conditions may lead to fungal growth and the generation of mycotoxins. Other plant material or minerals may be added to increase bulk and therefore profit. Colorings, including salts of heavy metals to enhance color and appearance, and drugs to improve efficacy. Contamination and adulteration can happen at any of the many stages between grower and dispenser, and great care is needed to ensure that patients are treated with materials of the highest purity and quality. The mixing of cocktails containing multiple pharmacological compounds inevitably creates a risk of potentially dangerous interaction. In Van Herregen's case, acetosolamide, by making the urine alkaline, could have delayed excretion of any nephrotoxic substances present, an effect that might have been especially relevant if Aristolochia fangchi were present. Although aristolochic acid was not found in the analysis of one batch of the capsules, it may have been present in other batches if the distinction between these two herbs was not being clearly made. Several lessons need to be learned from this disaster. Firstly, the prescription of herbal remedies requires as much training as for the prescription of conventional drugs. Secondly, procedures for identification and quality control of herbal medicines should be no less stringent than those that are applied to other medicines. Thirdly, medicines of any type should never be combined without careful considerations of the risk of interactions that may lead to toxicity. And this is from David Atherton, Malcolm Rustin, and Jonathan Brostoff. Well, that is a very that's a very good reply. I'm really yeah, it, they it's, seem to be it, doing all the work. Yeah, it's um, you know I I am personally I'm 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 skeptical of you know complementary herbal medicines, but you know as far as as far as this reply goes, it's pretty reasonable, and I they I, I can't really fault any of the reasoning in it, um, especially. Um, the things we don't really think about when we're thinking about efficacy and effectiveness of something, you know, we think, oh, we have this substance, this substance does X, Y, and Z. We don't think about how that substance can change if it's manufactured incorrectly, if it's stored incorrectly, if it's inappropriately combined with something it should not be combined with. These these are all reasonable considerations to to make when when discussing this. So I, I think um, it was a very helpful article uh, to point us in the right direction. Uh, and then finally, uh, the the answer uh, that kind of figures it out. Nineteen ninety four, also in the Lancet. Hang on, I'm gonna look up uh, who won Oscars in nineteen ninety four. Tom Hanks, one actor in a leading role. For which thought? movie? Um, let's see. Hang on. It's hosted by Whoopi Goldberg. Um, I feel like this is really important, like, you know, setting the stage. Uh, Schindler's List won Best Picture. So that was okay. 94. Right, and what did Tom Hanks win for? Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So now we have another reply in The Lancet called Identification of Aristolochic Acid in Chinese Herbs. Sir, 
A new cause of progressive interstitial fibrosis of the kidney was identified in Belgium and was related to slimming regimen, including Chinese herbs called Stephania tetranda and Magnolia ficinalis. To date, 70 cases have been identified, 30 of whom had terminal renal failure. The possibility that Aristolochia fangqi, another Chinese herb that is potentially nephrotoxic, was accidentally delivered in the plant fraction of the formulation in replacement of Stephania has been suggested. However, attempts to demonstrate the presence of aristolochic acids in the capsules taken by the patients failed. The complex formulation of the capsules required several pre-purification steps before testing for the presence of aristolochic acids. We have now found that these procedures may partly destroy aristolochic acids. We report here further data on the correct identification of the herbs. Twelve different samples of herb powders delivered in Belgium under the name Stefania Tetranda and distributed in Belgian pharmacies from July 1990 to August 1992 were submitted to phytochemical analysis to detect the presence of tetrandine, an alkaloid characteristic of Stefania Tetranda, or aristolochic acids, characteristics of aristolochia species. The method consisted of thin-layer chromatography. Uh, according to the Chinese Pharmacopoeia for Detection of Tetrandine or Aristolochic Acid. In these 12 batches of herb powders, in two batches prepared for the so-called Stefania powder, in one slice of root specified by the importer of Stefania Tetranda, and in one slice of root specified as Aristolochia fangqi, quantitative TLC densentrometric determinations of Aristolochic Acid were done. I'm sorry, could you say that again? No. The table shows that the results of phytochemical analysis of the 12 batches of so-called Stefania powder, uh, sample 2 is the only sample that corresponded to uncontaminated tetanda. Samples 1 and 3 through 11 correspond most probably to Aristolochia species. Uh, sample 12 is suspected to be a mixture of the two. This is this is the the evidence that they were they were looking for in the initial publication, uh, but they couldn't find because their methods were um, well we're we're a little sloppy. Uh, but now we have our our proof or our our evidence uh, that aristolochic acid was present uh, and that it was an aristolochia species of plant instead of Stefania. Now. What is how how does something like this happen? How how does this happen? Well, I guess my question for you is: uh, Do these plants look similar? Do they grow near each other? So they look like a powder when the Belgians get it, but the exporters uh, they they had a different way of uh, of organizing it. And I got to pull up uh, my my chapter now. Because uh, I have the answer stored. This is gonna this is gonna be some like awful systems error. That's like it's so unbelievably stupid uh, oh that you're gonna slap your head. I just want to say like it, you know it's amazing that there's just, like an herb out there that you could just like consume. Like when we were all like you know Neanderthals wandering around. Not that we you know okay someone's gonna correct me like oh we're not descended from Neanderthals. Anyways, the point is we were all wandering around and you could have just like eaten something that would just like trash your kidneys and then you die because like. There's no dialysis when you're like a caveman. So what happened? As you know, plants have a bunch of different names. 
And the names we have been using are the scientific names, but there's also common names. So, uh, you know, I see an oak tree, but the scientific name or the genus of an oak tree is Quercus. Uh, it's something we use to systematically talk about plants, and it's useful in the scientific literature so that there's no confusion. But the business uh, uh, materials might use the more common names. So here we go. Stefania tetranda has a Chinese name called, and I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I, I apologize if I do, but it's called Hong Feng Ji. That is H-A-N-G-F-A-N-G-J-I. Aristolochia Fengqi has a common name called Huang Fengji, or G-U-A-N-G-F-A-N-G-J-I. Those are very similar names. Oh, boy. And most likely what happened was the exporter uh, was not paying attention or when they were writing down the ledgers, they just they, – they mixed up the names and they sent over the wrong batch of plants. And that's how this nephrotoxic plant powder wound up in diet pills all the way over in Belgium and ultimately destroyed dozens of women's kidneys. So do you know how to do a root cause analysis? Because I feel like this would be a good one. It, it would be. It, it would be. Uh, at this point, we now have the proof that we need. There, this is aristolochic acid toxicity, and it was inappropriately given uh, to these women. And they, over several months of ingesting it, they developed this rapid kidney disease. But what about the Balkans? What about these people over there? How are they getting? Aristolochic acid toxicity. They're not going to diet clinics. They're not doing this. So where is this coming from? Right. You've talked about Balkan endemic nephropathy, right? And so far, nothing we've talked about is endemic to the Balkans. So um, Aristolochia is a cosmopolitan genus, meaning this genus of plant grows everywhere throughout the world. There are local species uh, in, in certain places, certain uh, geographic areas, but the, the genera is, is, is pretty well represented all over. Um, the species that grows in the Balkans is Aristolochia climatitis, uh, and it grows in wheat fields. It is a weed. It is a, a, a common uh, presence along, among the wheat fields. And when the wheat is harvested, um, the seeds of Aristolochia get mingled in with the wheat seeds. And it gets into the food supply and you have this chronic low-level exposure that over years leads to Balkan endemic nephropathy. Now, rates uh, of Balkan endemic nephropathy have gone down, and it's gone down for um, at least part of the reason why it's gone down is for a very simple reason. Ooh, can I guess? Yes. They're importing most of their wheat now. No. Oh. The Aristolochia seeds are slightly larger than the wheat berries, and so they use a filter 
when straining the seeds, that leaves out the Aristolochia seeds. Ah, so that's the sodium channel method, not the potassium <laughs> channel method. I think I think one of the things I really like about this case is how far-reaching its implications were. And it all started from just two simple observations of the these two patients who unfortunately just out, out of seeming nowhere developed kidney failure and they didn't have a good reason for it and so like like good scientists like good doctors they they took a good social history and figured out what these patients had in common and then when they when they got their initial hypothesis that maybe it's this weight loss clinic you know, they can't just go to the clinic and say, give me a list of all the people you serve because we think you're killing them. They worked backwards. They went to the dialysis center and and filtered out potential uh, potential cases that way. They went to the dialysis center and filtered out potential cases. <sighs> I just I look, I love that a good med rec was the start of this, right? And, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've I've said, you know, you know, tell me about your medications and then anything not prescribed by a doctor, any vitamins or supplements, and, you know, some will say vitamin C, vitamin D. So it's very interesting to see, like, here, like, this is a case where it's like, oh, it, it mattered. You know, you, maybe initially you wouldn't have thought much of it, but then you come back to it and say, you know, we've ruled out everything else. Uh, you know, what environmental toxins are you being exposed to? Yeah. And from my own personal experiment uh, experience, I, I've had uh, a handful of cases where I, I I got the diagnosis from the 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 supplemental history. The what what supplements are they using? Uh, it it you you never you never quite know what's going on that people don't think uh, they don't think it's important to mention. So you really do have to ask. Yeah, you know, it, it might be it, it might be tedious, but if you're not asking, you are going to miss those those you know big big moments. So, do you think the the combination w- with the alkalizing the urine alkalizing agent made it more potently toxic? Because I'm guessing this is renally cleared, so what's happening is that's where it's concentrating. I was looking into the pathophysiology of this, and it looks like it's it's one of its mechanisms of action is that it is a it causes direct DNA damage by forming bulky adducts, which yes. then cause double strand breaks. Um, so these urothelial cancers that form, the most common mutation here is, is uh, TP53. P53, of course, the guardian of the genome, um, responsible for a number of downstream effects uh, in response to DNA damage. Um, the most commonly mutated gene across uh, all cancers. Um, so, you know, I, don't, I have no idea how how specific the damage is versus just, you know, that's the kind of mutation that that's you're going to pick up in these kinds of uh, uh, incidences. But um, yeah, do you think that's just what happened here is it's the combination, it's just concentrating in the kidneys and that's where it's going to hit you. I, I think so. Um, you know, th- this is, this is still an ongoing um, uh, field of research and there's, there's, there's lots there. They're still trying to untangle exactly how these DNA addicts are, are, are contributing uh, but I, I, I think that's, you know, at this point, the most likely, but I'm interested, this is definitely something I'm going to be following just out of my own curiosity to see what's going on. Um, well, it's good to know that I couldn't simply go to Amazon and type in, uh, Aristolochia 
and immediately come up with a bottle of uh, Aristolochia clematitis uh, liquid extract, four ounces for uh, $30. No, I think you can do that. Yeah. I, I, do you want I, some? Do you want me to send you some? I I I um I found uh a couple months ago I, I found is this in my in my course of research for this a, a website that was selling uh gummies containing mm-hmm. aristolochic acid and I uh was being a little cheeky and I just sent them an email saying hey just uh just so you know these things kill your kidneys uh, and you shouldn't sell them and I I I haven't gotten a response yet. So I, I might, I might bring it up again with them and uh, yeah, let them know that now, now there could be, you know, like I said, there could be a major difference in preparation. This is, this is a powdered form we know causes kidney damage, but we have no evidence on gummy forms. Uh, the gummy forms might actually make your kidney stronger because in science, anything can happen. I'm now just thinking about gummy forms of all meds. <laughs> gummy warfarin. Oh my god, that's so fun. <laughs> Look, you have to get your blood stuff, you know, you have to get, you know, phlebotomy constantly in order to check your uh, your INR, but like it's a gummy. Yeah, I I'm I'm going to look up and see uh if we can find uh uh some gummy uh or some aristolochic acid supplements for sale. Okay. And let's see. Ah, right, here we go. Oh, you can go to uh, uh Etsy. That's how you get your um, your vegan duck flower Aristolochia grandiflora detox gummies. So, is the gummy vegan? Is the flower called vegan duck flower? Yeah, it's it's duck flower. It's uh, Aristolochia grandiflora is the duck flower. So, if and it's it, is the the duck is vegan? Like like it's not made. It's made from like fake duck. Or the duck had a vegan diet prior to being turned into the gummy. I, I think it's just because the flower looks like a duck. Ah. So this is not like a foie gras situation. No. Yeah, it looks like a duck flower. Oh, maybe you can put this in the show notes. It looks like uh, the, the gummies themselves look like a uh, – looks like raw meat. Or not – like, you know, it looks like tartare. Yeah, look up look up Aristolochia grandiflora on Google Images and look at the flowers. They look like a large duck. I don't see it. You gotta look on images. No, no, I see it. But oh, I mean, don't I don't see the, see the duck. Turn your head to the side. It looks like a rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Alright, wait, should we do the, you wanna do the, the, the joke? So, so what do you guys call this act? <sighs> the Aristolocrats. <laughs> Boo. Okay. Alright, it does kind of look like a duck. Yeah. Uh, what I what I think is great about this this idea of the the duck flower detox gummies is that you know there's there's no evidence that they're going to actually detox you whatever the hell that means but what it will do is potentially kill your kidneys so that you can no longer detox yourself you see that's how they get you that's how they get you hooked I just look I have these rope worms all right and I'm taking this <laughs> ivermectin. And I'm posting pictures to Instagram of my intestinal lining falling out and calling that parasites. That is that is one of the most profoundly tragic things that I did not know existed until us all this ivermectin stuff is that people will think that they're clearing parasites out when they are in fact shedding mucus and epithelial tissue that 
wasn't doing them any harm, maybe even was important. Um, that's that's sad. I did not know how we got there, but I feel for those people. I hope that they heal and uh, and stop taking whatever uh, supplements and uh, pharmaceuticals uh, that are not indicated for them um, that are causing them to uh, shed their epithelial lining. Yeah, I, I think that's a good place. Uh, I think that's a good place to stop. Don't uh, right. don't don't shed your lining. That's right. Don't uh, don't shed your lining, and uh, you know, don't go to Shady Clinic X. All right. Uh, Till next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, to get your CME credit, uh, text. Uh, I don't know if I want to make this joke. To get your CME credits uh, after listening to this episode, uh, go to uptodate.com and read a couple articles for a few hours. That actually counts as CME credits. Nothing to do with this podcast. It's just a really quick way to get CME credits. And as always, none of this was medical advice. None of this was any kind of advice, really. Please, um, if you have any questions about any kind of supplements, uh, speak with your primary care provider. Please, please don't ask us anything. 